All right, and welcome to another episode of the Lions Guide Podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. I interview other subject matter experts on topics of performance and growth and also review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls, and I'm the founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, we've got Mrs. Abigail Manning. And Abigail is a business entrepreneur, international speaker, and workshop instructor. She's also a proud uh, Marine mom of a pair of U.S. Marines. And uh, she combined her academic studies of cognitive, social, and behavioral theories, research and well-being, and her life skills learned in the trenches of childhood abuse, domestic violence, and PTS to create a powerful curriculum to really empower teams and develop uh, leadership skills. So on this episode, Abigail and I talk about her journey and learn about what she calls our purple threads, which are our limiting personal thoughts connected to past traumas that become physio- physiologically tied to what we think, say, and do. It's it's really powerful stuff. This is a, a great episode. I think you're going to love it. So if you like the sound of that, before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in, getting value from the show, then do yourself a favor and go to lionsguide.com and join my member community called The Pride. You know, for no cost to you, it's free. You get access to all kinds of free exclusive content to include yet to be releases, yet to be released episodes of the podcast. I've got reading lists out there. I do live virtual training events. Uh, we've got a private online group to engage with other growth-minded members. I've got other training out there for you to dive into that's been recorded and and a whole lot more. So again, joining the pride is no cost to you. And I'm putting it all together to help you break out of your rut and or break through that best version of yourself by establishing clarity, building your courage, and being the true leader of your life. So go out there, check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com and join today. So with that all said, let's start the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Lions Guy Podcast. And on today's episode, we have Miss Abigail Manning, who is a business entrepreneur, international speaker, workshop instructor, and my favorite part, a mom of a few Marines, which we'll talk about. And Abigail, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Dale. And thank you for having me on your show and in honor of you um, of today's Veterans Day. So thank you for your service in honor of you of being a Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine. And yesterday was your birthday. I wore a special favorite shirt of Marines, no better friend, no worse enemy. It's it. one of my favorite shirts I have. Yeah, I love that saying. I've heard it obviously a lot, but it's one of my favorite ones to kind of trickle across because it's so true, man. It's like, you know, Marines are, we're, we are a special breed and we're so diverse and, you know, uh, yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that. I really, really do. So yeah, tell so us. I absolutely appreciate you and all that you do. And I kind of kid that, you know, my daughter and my son are both Marines. And so if I, I say, if I'm going to go into a knife fight, I would take my daughter. I would oh, absolutely really? take my daughter. If I'm going to go in front of a judge, I would absolutely take my son. And they both have both sides of their personality. But um, I love that about the Marine community and, and, and pretty much, you know, a lot of our military. But the Marines have obviously a special place in my heart. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're the few, the proud, you know, um, what did say? I just recently heard, I was listening to a speech of the, uh, my local Marine Corps league last night about, um, 
there's there's many like us, but there's only a few of us or something something like that. I thought I thought it was awesome. I hadn't heard that before, but um, but yeah. So Abigail, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Wonderful. Well, thank you. I um I am an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner, a two time business owner. Um, I took a lot. The second company that I really focus 100 percent of my time in um, is create awareness, change lives. I started it about almost five years ago, actually. In fact, today is the four-year mark of when I did my first speech and I came out telling people the first time about traumas that I've been through and it was at a gala to 250 people. My attitude is kind of go big or go home. I really thought I was going to do that as a thank you to the crisis center that helped me and I was done. And my son was in the audience and he said, oh, mom, you're not done. You just started. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And so from there, I built curriculum. Um, And as you said, I I work internationally. Uh, I teach workshops. I facilitate workshops. Um, I do speaking events. I also run retreats. I love athleticism. So taking what you learn in a classroom kind of setting and going outside and heading it on the ground. I used to run a weekly workout where I did it for veterans. Um, I work primarily with military veteran nonprofits and also corporations. A lot of more leadership development has come up um, just when people found out about what I do. And I feel very lucky. Um, I work really hard at being lucky (laughs) and finding opportunities um, and meeting fabulous people like you. Uh, It's just, it's been a great second journey. I was not really expecting empty nest syndrome to hit as hard as it did. And so I'm really glad I have this whole huge opportunity in front of me to help create awareness and help people empower themselves and change their lives. I love it. I mean, number one, I, I, I got to appreciate like the joy you bring, like even like when we first got on the the green room call and and even when we talked before, like you bring so much, so much joyful energy to the conversation. And I love it about you. I mean, I I think it's awesome. And so with regard to the speech, you know, so you were given a speech to were you saying like you weren't intending to go this route, but how, how did that feel? You know, was it a like as you did it or did it? kind of go, wow, I really enjoy this? Or did your son kind of trigger it? What what was the the kind of feelings there going through that? Yeah, well, I've been one of those people that did speeches before. Um, I had a lot of different positions of, of uh, leadership growing up in high school, you know, student council president and gave the class graduation speech to 2000 people. Um, and so I have that kind of background. And as an athlete, you're used to being kind of in the spotlight and things like that. And just kind of, um, owning that space. And so when I did the, the crisis center speech, it was really a gift to give back. And I was super, super nervous. And my super crazy smart son looks at me. And it was interesting because my daughter had called me beforehand. She was in the Marines. And so she couldn't attend. My son was still in high school. And she said, they both said the same thing, but separately, they didn't know they told me this. And they said, mom, it's never been about you. You've always done things to help other people. When you tell the story, it's not about you. It's about all the people in the audience. So don't worry that it's going to be a dark room full of all these people who paid a lot of money to sit in there and just do it because you know it's going to resonate. You know it's going to make a difference. And so I came with that approach and I came with, um, it's taken a long time for me to learn and trust me and like me and uh, be proud of me. I was so brainwashed the opposite way growing up with childhood abuse by both my parents that it, it was a long road to get there. And so when I stood up there and I shared it to help other people to be of service, right? 
um, and protect other people, to sh- tell them the warning signs, to tell them, you know, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels. And here's how you can get up and out and over it. Um, so before I actually sat down and it just felt that felt good. Right. And when I went off script, it went even better. And I had this auditorium of people, this, this big banquet room go from crying to like laughing and to stuff. And it was just this wonderful feeling of knowing that the words that I was saying was helping people. And before I sat down, um, this guy came running across the room and said, do you know who I am? Which I'm like, gag. No, I don't. I'm not about like celebrities. Ooh, wow. You know? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, he, he told me who he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like that kind of thing. He was trying to cut to the chase and he was the Senate majority leader here in Colorado. And he's like, you're the one we want. And from there, they hired me, Colorado Senate hired me to come in and do some training classes and the speaking event. And from there, it just kept growing. And, and again, being lucky, you have to work hard, right? It just I don't know anybody who's an overnight success, really. So I just keep working at it. And now I speak internationally. I spoke at Air University, their LEDX. Um, I'm going to announce it here first time. Uh, I just got, um, I'm on the National Symposium for USAFA, the United States Air Force Academy. They have a national symposium once a year, and it's in February, and I'm one of their speakers. And it's on human dignity and respect. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's amazing where it's gone. And I'm delighted if I can be of help to people. It's amazing. Like, hey, it's, it's taken off. It's, it's doing exactly. And it's going to help a lot of people. It's awesome. The, uh, so good for you. The, what, uh, so what is the story? How did, ha, how did you come to be in this position of, uh, to help other people in this regard? Yeah. Um, so thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, it, it really started when I was eight. I know that sounds kind of crazy, um, but I was a little girl standing in my bedroom mirror. And I can clearly remember looking in the mirror and making a promise that this was going to end with me, that I was all about, and I still am all about love, respect, and kindness, treating yourself with it and treating other people with that. And how do you, how do you think, say, do not only, you know, so like, it's one thing just to say it, but it's another thing to do it. And it's another thing to really think that way, like love, respect, and kindness, especially when you're in front of people and they're not acting in a very lovable, kind or respectful way. So, um, I took my double major, uh, from Indiana university was, I really studied cognitive, social, and behavioral. And, and then I took all my own how did I get up and over this? How did I stop it? I was committed. I was a solo parent from the time my kids were five and two. And how did I raise my kids? How did I do it? My kids were the ones who were like, mom, you please help other people with this because we could have easily been very different people. And it's only because of you. And and I think they were being very generous. A lot of it is themselves and their teachers and their community and and coaches and everything. It takes all of us. But I will take that I worked really hard at consciously parenting with think, say, do about love, respect, and kindness. And, and kindness doesn't mean you're weak, right? So kindness means, you know, that you, you have the strength to do the right thing all the time. And that's what I taught them. And that's what I teach in my curriculum. And so I built my own curriculum actually on purple threads. I I'm a very visual person. And so I created my own artwork. I created my own language. I created my own workshop content and curriculum so that no one can say, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it so far, it's pretty effective. It's it's um, I'm always fine tuning it, though. So when people give me feedback, which I love, then I fine tune the content that I'm developing. But it's 
basically about uh, being better individuals and being better leaders. So how do you work together? There's communication. There's a bunch of different classes I've created, but health, leading a healthy workplace environment is one of my biggest ones. I teach consistently to the Navy and I'm kind of rambling now. So yeah. <laughs> oh, so when it comes to that, you know, what, when it comes to like the healthy workplace environment, and even you mentioned like dynamic leadership, what are you solving for? What's, what's the problem that you, that you're solving for there? Wonderful. Well, sometimes there's a problem. And sometimes what I really like to do is preventative, right? Let's prevent the problem. So healthy workplace environment, there's one, I have two versions of that. One is a sexual harassment assault prevention class. And the other one is not, it doesn't have to entail those types of topics on it, but it's all about understanding your limiting personal thoughts. So purple threads is recognizing and rewiring you're limiting. So think PT, right? Military. Mm -hmm. So um, think about your personal limiting personal thoughts that are connected to past traumas that become physiologically tied to what you think say do. And the reason for purple is because it, it purple is the color of courage. It takes a lot of courage to look within yourself to see why am I thinking this way? Why am I reacting this way versus responding in a positive, productive way? And then how do I maintain that? How, what are my self-regulation techniques so that I can engage, get out of my, you know, fight, flight, and freeze and engage my parasympathetic system and be able to respond in a way that's productive. It's encouraging. And, um, and with authority, you know, if you have to fire someone, you can do it with respect. You can do it with dignity, right? How do you do that so you don't devastate the person and they go out back into the world and create and take that ick and pour it on other people? And that's why I say it ends with me because it really needs self-accountability is that where it ends with you. So if people have communication problems within their organization or they want better communication, they want more trusting teams. Um, if they find people are really burnt out, I have a foundational eight class. It's about the science behind the foundational eight things, the healthy habits we need to be doing in order to be able to be a thriving individuals. And how do you have that accountability to do those foundational eight? And so I help people recognize where they're maybe not as strong as they want to be and empower them to become even stronger. And I love doing that, especially with teams, but I've done a little bit of that one-on-one -on -one as a follow-up coaching for people. But um, so if they have a problem, like Yusafa contacted me and said during COVID, they're like, we are having a problem with resilience and, you know, cadets are isolated. They're this, you know, can you, and they're like, we want you to come in and talk about resilience. So a lot of people talk to me about that internal morale, um, fortitude, resilience is a big time when people call on me and they ask me to come in and, and help with that topic. What are you seeing that's contributing to this mindset that you're helping oppose, uh, helping solve for, you know, like the, the limiting beliefs and, and, and things like that. So, so what, what is contributing to this now? And I ask that to kind of help people understand, like maybe things that they're doing that are not helping them or might be attributing to this or, or so on. Well, one is that whole not believing in yourself as deeply as you possibly can, right? Um, so the USDA just contacted me this week about having me come in for their disabled women's leadership program. And the disability, I loved when they said everybody has a disability. Most people just don't know it. And I talk about that. Purple Threads is a great way for me to connect with you. I don't have to know what some of your traumas are in your life, but I know that as wonderful as you are, Dale, you probably have some limiting personal thoughts because everyone I've worked with comes up with something. 
Everyone has a limiting personal thought. Everyone has something in the background. And what happens is we don't realize that those life experiences are still kind of noodling around in our head. And we think we're the only one. We think they're the only one who are so incredibly angry. I work for uh, quite a few veteran nonprofits on healing and empowerment. So how do you get past that anger? And then you feel worse about yourself because you're yelling at your spouse, you're yelling at your kids, you're yelling at your animal, right? And you don't know how you got there. So I help people understand how they get there and like, it's okay. It's okay. So no shame, no blame, and no judgment on yourself as well as other people. And then how do we then remove those limiting thoughts and then empower ourselves, rewire them into something really powerful? How can you use what was an obstacle and help propel yourself forward? And that's something that I've been able to do. I don't know why, but I I always had that buoy in me, like a, a water buoy, you know, you knock me down and I pop back up and it's just kind of always been in me. So I don't know really where that came from, but I also work really hard at making sure I pop back up. It doesn't mean I don't fall down. It doesn't mean I'm not a puddle in the ground, you know? Um, But I have a lot of resiliency skills that I, one, went out and searched and seeked and developed myself, but did a lot of research and a lot of hands-on training on it. Does this work for me? Does it not work for me? So I think that makes me help connect with people. And that's the joy that you mentioned that you feel. I feel joy in meeting people, especially when I know I can help make their world a better place. I I love it. I mean, how do, how do we get there? You mentioned one of the things that you do is help people understand how they got there to have those limiting beliefs. I think that's interesting. Like, how do we get there? How do we get to that point where we're, you know, have so much self-doubt and and so on? Well, maybe you'd like to take my class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, the first the first step of it is self-awareness. And I do it in such an authentic way that People start sharing things that they've never told or shared through the purple threads. They literally, I don't have one right here, but I have them write it down on a purple card and then they crumple it up. So when we can sit, when someone stands in front of you and explains what it is and they go through what is a trauma, what are different forms of trauma, everybody can then start seeing themselves because what happens, especially in the military community, they minimize the trauma that they've been through and they say, well, my buddy's not here. My other buddy lost his leg. Like, right. I'm like, okay, well, those are absolutely traumas, but so is being deployed. So is growing up with abandonment. So is going through COVID. So is, and as we go through the different lists, people can see how all the different things they've been through. They're like, well, I just thought that was normal. Like I thought that I just thought it was normal. Like a lot of the hitting and, and, and physical abuse. I, you know what I mean? Like I didn't talk to anybody about it and I was told it was my fault. And I was, I was deserving of this. Like okay, I'm not going to go tell people what a loser I am. I'm deserving to be hit, right? So you internalize it. You think you're the only one. So the step, the first step is self-awareness and then it's self-ownership, right? Hold the line, do the right thing. Don't turn around and dump it on somebody else. What does that look like? How do you feel it in your body? Because it gets stuck in your body on a cellular level and a somatic level and neurological in your brain. So how do I then rewire? And the last step after self-awareness and self-ownership um, is self I call it self-commitment because I don't know if you're like me, Dale, but I'm not very good at self-care. 
you know, I'll do a lot of self-care for other people, but self-commitment to me is you get up and you go for that run before you start working and taking care of other people. Self-care is when you hurt, you go get a massage, you go sit in the hot tub, you go, you like your body physically hurts. You take care of it. You don't push it off. So that's the self-commitment. Like I like to read, but then I end up doing things for other people and I'm too tired. So I block out time where I can read. So those are the three basic overall steps I would recommend. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think to, to answer your question, I've actually thankfully, you know, gotten better in that, but I've had to do what you said. I've had to block my time and structure my day so that I take care of myself first so that I'm able to take care of others or execute the, the way I need to. Um, so my personal development time is as soon as I get up, I, I, I go meditate. I have, have, have coffee with my wife and, you know, and have our quality time before the kids, the, the circus of our three kids comes to life. And, um, and, and then I read and then I work out and I get a, a ton, I get a ton done before 7 a.m. I, that, that's my time. We get up early, we get after early because I, I, I think you're, you're spot on is that we have to take care of ourselves. It's, it's, what is it saying? Like you, you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, if you're just not taking care of yourself, how, how can you be able to take care of, take care of others? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't do that for so long because I was conditioned to think that that was not that was selfish and that was, um, weak and that was, um, narcissistic and things like that. And so I, I took care of my kids and honestly, I loved doing it, serving and, and being of value to my kids and, you know, no problem. I'll get you to Taekwondo and we'll do math facts on the way. And here's your dinner. It's a bag of granola, you know, bars and things like that. And I loved it. And then I realized when they were gone, I didn't, I didn't have that purpose. And I see that a lot in transitioning military and people that are transitioning out of one job into the next, or they're in a dead end job or a job with this whole great resignation. They're like, this isn't filling my purpose. So how do you fill your purpose? Well, a lot of times you have to have that full cup. That's that one of those foundational aids and you have to have a full cup, which means you're giving yourself quality time just to think, just to dream just to say what else is out there. What's my highest good. This isn't the rat race I want to be in. I want to have like, that's beautiful that you spend that morning time with your wife and having coffee or whatever it is you do together. What a beautiful commitment. And that, that just creates a better, more trusting environment that your kids get to grow up and, and see how that's normal, right? That's their normal. Absolutely. I mean, and I love, you know, you're, you're talking about intentionality you're talking about bringing clarity you know um all these things are important in, in in you know we've talked about you know taking ultimate responsibility for what's going on in your life and and you and, and look none of this stuff is new like we've heard sharpen a saw for how many years now right like that's what we're saying like you've got to you've got to sharpen your saw so that you can honorably meet these demands that we all have from life. Like we have to be in a position to honorably face them and, and meet them head on. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, then, you know, we become those bobbers in the ocean and, you know, the world and life is just kicking us around. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, that's awesome. I wanted to ask, as you mentioned earlier around love, kindness, and respect, um, you, you talked about having it and even maintaining it when you're not getting it. it how do, how do we do that? Right. Like when you, as I felt, I imagined when you're saying it, you've got that other person that's showing complete disrespect to you. They're talking down to you. How do, how do we, how do we hold it together? What's, 
Yeah, good question. Uh, so <laughs> healthy boundary lines, this is part of like communication, right? So healthy boundary lines, um, learning where you, first of all, where you feel it in your body. So some people feel like the stress, the anger, the sadness in their pit of their stomach. Some feel it like a tightened jaw, being able to recognize when you're feeling that way before it starts taking you over, um, and recognizing that and then implementing, you said mindfulness. So like mindfulness or breathing, or there's a lot of different self-regulation techniques. Um, some of which I teach in my classes, but like tapping things like that. And then what I like to do is what is this person not, not focus on their words, not focus on their behavior. What's, what's driving it behind it. So if I don't react to the, what's coming at me, right. If I'm like, okay, all right. You know, it's kind of like, I'm not a ninja by any means, but it's kind of like a ninja move. You just kind of step to the side. All right. I understand. Tell me more. How does that make you feel? You don't take any of it personally because it really never is about us for the most part anyway. And I love when I can do that. And my cup has to be filled in order for me to do that repeatedly, right? But I love being able to do that. And then the person feels safe. They feel heard. They feel trusted. There's not a retaliation, which is what they're expecting. And so they push usually one more time because they're expecting some kind of defensive maneuver from me. And then they're like, and then I'll be, what else is going on? And they're like, well, I lost my job. Or as I my car got vandalized. Oh man, do you have another car to get to work? No, I don't. What other solutions can we come up with? Right? You become an ally. You become a voice of calm and kindness and confidence for them. Or you can also, calm and confidence can be, that's your issue. And you can't take it out on me. Can't take it out on the other people. Would you like to have me help you find a resource? And that's where kindness, you know, don't mistake my kindness for weakness right? Um, you can't just dump all over me. And I tell people in communication classes, the, the, one of my favorite sentences is the word no, no. And I find women in particular tend to want me. I do this. I talk in paragraphs. I'm working on it. And no is a full sentence. And, and you, and you tell someone that when they're spiraling out of control, their brain is ruminating. Um, no, with regard to, and, and I love all that, and I feel I'm, I'm, I'm really even feeling, even when you um, demoed it, I'm like, I'm feeling like it stood up. Like if I were the, the aggressor, it's like, you know, you're so like collected in, in kind of like impenetrable, you know, like you weren't going to play that game, you know, and, and participate, which you're, you're good at what you do. With that. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Like, well, one of the, like, the healthy workplace environments, I talk about manipulators. What do manipulators do? What does it look like? What's moving the goalposts? What's gaslighting? What's grooming? What's What are the tool, the, the tricks that manipulators use? Because they figure out, here's the key, they figure out your purple threads. They figure out your limiting personal thoughts. And as soon as they know what those threads are, they can use them like marionette strings. And when, and the moment that, and they're really clever, if they could use their cleverness for good, you know, the world would be this magical, beautiful place that we're, we're working towards. Um, and so I understand the tips and the techniques and I know how to counterbalance it. And I know what body language not to do, right. You know, like, you know, you know, the whole, don't do this or don't get in their face or don't point at someone like that. Um, and, and you can apply them. We're smart people, but we weren't taught these tools, we just weren't taught them. So that's why I try to help people learn the tools 
so that you can maintain your composure. You can turn a negative into a positive and you can stop someone who is bent on creating problems and creating a toxic environment. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, and, and you're reminding me just of the idea that, you know, it could be argued that we don't get taught enough um, financial intelligence, you know, through our school system. And I feel like you're saying we don't get taught enough emotional intelligence to be able to recognize what's happening in this situation. So we're not not being um, educated to what's happening. You react to it. But if you what? So what is green lighting, for example, or, or would you say green uh, gaslighting? So oh, gaslighting. Yeah. 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 So gaslighting is off of an old movie. And what it is, is intentional steps that someone takes to make you feel crazy. Mm. Dale, I never said that. Well, yeah, yeah you did. You, you told me. It, no, I you. You know, you have a problem with remembering things. That's okay. You know, that's okay. It's all right. It's fine. Like they have all these ways of manipulating people into thinking like that never happened. And you always make things up or I never promised you that raise. Um, and so gaslighting is steps and techniques that they use to make you feel like you're crazy. Well, most of us kind of feel like we're crazy anyway. And we're not about to tell other people like, Hey, I feel really alone. I think I'm nuts. I think I'm crazy. Um, it's probably just me. It's a stupid question, but like those are the kind of signs that manipulators will look for and they go, ha ha ha, got you. Now I got you. And it's easy to manipulate. Whereas other people like you and me and the people who are listening want to be on the good side and we can say, okay, you know what? I'm happy to talk about it. But the first thing is you can't say I'm just a contractor. I'm just a salesperson. Like not, not in my world, you're a salesperson, you're a contractor. And that's a beautiful thing. And we need you in this world, right? Like where do you find those subtleties and being able to change our thinking and how we think about ourselves and how we communicate who we are with others and how we allow others to communicate to us. You know, no one can say to me, you're just a mom, you're just a speaker, right? And if they do, and they continue down that path, thank you for showing me your true colors. I wish you well, goodbye. Do they know they're doing it? Like these characters? Do, I, I know it's, it, it, you know, in our minds when we, we meet an antagonist, we almost, to me anyway, maybe uh, some of us go like, they're, this is intentional, right? Like you're talking about even the gas, gas lighting. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Uh, which I've been there a million times. So, and I'm not heard that. And I'm going to go, so maybe I wasn't crazy. Maybe that was like the tactic. But do they know they're doing that? Do these guys know or they just... Because meeting these personalities, um, is it their narcissism? Is is their is it their pathology? Path, are they pathological? Like kind of, and I, I'm asking, you know, I've, you know, there's no broad brushstroke to paint them all, but I'm asking, like, in your experience, do they know what they're doing, or is it just their character kind of living so out? So, yeah, I love the question. I get asked that, and it's like a yes, 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 and no. Um, behavior is learned. It's learned behavior. So some people learned it. They're just passing it on. That's why when I was little, I'm like, this is not the way you're supposed to treat family. This is not the way you're supposed to treat someone you don't even like. Right. So it was a learned behavior that continues. That's why generational cycle ha of abuse happens. You learn it, you pass it on. They learn it, they pass it on. They learn it, they pass it on. They learn it, they teach it. They treat the people at at work that way. You saw your boss do it. So you do it to the people who are now behind you. It's learned behavior. So until you learn a new behavior, until you learn that it's not okay, um, you continue the cycle. 
And so there are some people who do it and don't really realize it. They're sociopaths and psychopaths um, that absolutely know what they're doing. Hmm. And absolutely, and I'm I'm thinking of one person right now and absolutely delight in it. And they can turn like a flip of a coin. Private versus public behavior can be radically different, right? And everyone's like, what are you talking about? That person is so nice. And you're like, and then you're like, are you sure you didn't cause it? And, you know, and it just feeds more of that gaslighting in your head. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure I didn't cause myself to get beaten at home, you know, like with wooden objects. Like no child deserves that, right? So, um, but she's always so nice. And so I think there's pathological people. I will tell you, I was teaching a two-day seminar and one of the guys, and women just as much as men, you know, right? Our manipulators and, and all of this can do gaslighting and everything. One of the guys halfway through the first day would, would not look at me anymore. This is Navy command. And he mm -hmm. wouldn't look at me, wouldn't look at me. And I was like, what is the deal? And so we took a break for the day, you know, it was the end of the day, he came back the next day and I greeted him at the door and he wouldn't make eye contact with me again. And he sat down and we started and he raised his hand and I said, yes. And he goes, I need to, I need to share something with the class. And he said, I have not been able to look you in the face because all those things on manipulation, they're me. They're me. I'm that guy. I didn't even know it until you explained it. And a lot of times people will say, why don't, why aren't we getting this type of content when we're kids? And I'm like, cause this is the content I wish someone had taught me. And I could have had, I've had a wonderful, beautiful life, but it has been full of trials and tribulations and challenges and a lot of scraped up knees and broken heart, you know, and stuff like that. But it also has made me stronger and wiser. And that's why I share what I share. So that's kind of a long answer. So I'll try to be more bullet point. <laughs> Please don't. We got plenty of time. Uh, with, yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you went there with that. I mean, because I think, you know, I learned it and correct me that, you know, like boys, you know, today, like boys like solve their problems with their fists girls solve their problems with emotions is, is there is there is that any truth to that like how how kind of like we uh, um how we address conflict um unless you're my children <laughs> <laughs> i love and adore my children they're very different personalities ever since my daughter was little she solved things with her fists and my son solved it with logic mm. communication words like, right. And so what does she do? She went on to become, which, so I want to encourage as parents, like bring, understand your child as a child and bring out the best in each child. So my daughter, I could have insisted that no, 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 you know, act like a girl and do this stuff. And that was how I was raised. I'm like, that's not what I want. She's got a fighting spirit in her. She protected all the special needs kids. And then she became the target of being a bully. You know, she got bullied and we had the conversation. You have a choice. And she goes, mom, we're a family that does the right thing. The right thing is to protect, like stand up for the special needs kids. I'm like, in my book, it is too. And there is a consequence to that. You're being ostracized. You're being picked on. And you don't have to carry that load if you don't want to carry that load. And she was like, I wouldn't be proud of who I am. I'm like, well, it's important to be proud of who you are. So just know that those are the consequences and come to me and my resources and I will work with the school and stuff like that. Um, and it worked really well. I mean, she took first place at boot camp and she said, Marine boot camp wasn't that hard, mom. <laughs> and then she got picked and she did all this great stuff. And so then she became on the presidential helicopter squadron for security. So 
That was good. Her using her fists and my son using his, hmm, I'm going to observe. I'm going to watch. I'm going to put in this information, this information. I'm going to, I'm not going to overly react. I'm going to keep calm and think about it. He's an Intel specialist. It's perfect. Yeah. So recognize our kids and their strengths. And, and then also I do, I'm a big believer in developing the other side, right? You, you can't just be a one-sided person and there's 30, 40, 50 dimensions of who we are. And you can be a tough Marine and you can also be a loving, kind dad, and you can be a sweet, romantic, providing husband, and you can be, you know, all these different things. Sometimes we put ourselves in these one buckets and no one is a one bucket person. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, and I love that you brought that up is that we don't need to be so invested in, like you say, in that one area and maintaining that persona, let's just go with it. Like the hard nose Marine guy. So I, so because I'm that, I can't be empathetic to my kid who just had an accident, hurt themselves, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I totally love that. The, with regard to that, I mean, uh, you were mentioning earlier about, you know, our feelings manifesting themselves physically and that's that's interesting. Um, it, it's it's been my experience as well. But can you explain that a little bit? Like, what is happening? Like, how? Like, what don't people know is happening? Like, from our emotional uh, negativity, or maybe I'll say sickness. But I mean, like, we're you know we're not injured physically, but we're maybe injured emotionally, and it's manifesting itself. What's happening? What is that? Um, on the simplest definition for I, so I'm not a therapist, right? Um, and that works really well working with military and things like that, because I'm not a therapist. I'm just someone who's been in the trenches of challenges and I've tried all these different modalities and here's what's worked for me. And then I open it up to people that work works for them. So basically the long story short of what happens to all these traumas is what the way I explain in purple threads, it gets woven into us. Mm-hmm. And the more we've had trauma, the more it's woven into us. And all of a sudden we, we look down and we feel like Everyone can see these. Everyone can see these purple threads. Everyone um, recognizes them. And so we come out. And so so we want to protect that, right? We don't want anybody to see these purple threads, these lies, these limiting personal thoughts that we have about ourselves or these conditions that we don't even recognize. A lot of times it's so quiet in the back of our brain um, until we really focus on, I could never do that. I'm not smart enough. Um, uh, My sisters were pretty. I am not. Um, I will never have this. I'm not um, too much of this and not enough of that. Like we all have that kind of rattling around in the back of our heads. And some people don't recognize it until they go through the time to invest in themselves. Um, And what happens is it starts to like choke you off. So you either play really small, right? Don't speak up. If I speak up, they're going to know I'm dumb. If I stand up and and try to run a company, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my all my savings. Everyone's going to know I'm an idiot. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to stay in this job. This job is a steady paycheck. I'm not happy, but I'm not going to lose what I have. So we can either go that way or it can become armor like for us and we do anything to protect it. And we will stab anybody that tries to get close to see those purple threads. And so my dad in particular was one of those guys, you know, no one in the room could be anywhere near as smart as him. He would destroy you. He would destroy you verbally, physically, if needed, like, so it doesn't help anybody. Right. And then you hear the thing about where 
it's like garbage that just gets shoved down and the garbage can becomes so full, the lid explodes. Well, and that's why I'm a big believer in what I teach is the adverse spiral. Why, why people continue to go down the spirals because they don't recognize and deal with the traumas. They get trapped in our body. And then all of a sudden, one day before you know it, they're alcoholics. Uh, they have some kind of addiction problem or they're at the bottom of the adverse spiral and they're facing a gun. They're considering suicide, right? Um, midlife crisis is a lot of that too. Like, um, gosh, I thought I would be happy. I finally made it. But when you still have those purple threads in you, all that garbage, those personal looming thoughts, it just kind of explodes. And that an explosion is never good. It either goes internally or it'll go externally onto everybody around you. And in, in the, the personality uh, example of your father that you're mentioning, and, and I was trying to understand, is it because like he had limiting, someone like that has limiting beliefs, but they're going to war to prevent it from being exposed? Is that what we were saying? Right. Right. So when you were, he was extremely poor. He was, he was raised really, really poor and he made something of himself, right? He was really smart, but he was dirt, dirt poor. And um, he went into the army first and then the air force and he learned radar. And from there he, you know, went on and got a college degree and all this other kind of stuff. But inside he still was that dumb little dirt poor boy living without, you know, shoes. And the teachers told him, the community told him, um, society told him that he was a dumb, stupid little boy and he was never going to make it. And that was his fuel to keep moving forward. But the problem is he didn't know when to back off on that fuel when he could say, I'm really smart. I have done really well. I am, you know, he didn't go through that. He just kept with the, the pedal to the metal and, um, wouldn't allow anybody in to support. So like he ran his own company, but he would never have a vice president, right? Because he wouldn't trust him. He had to make all the decisions. He had to be the ultimate power. So to be honest, Dale, a lot of this is all about power and control. Mm. People who feel they don't have power and control will try to take your power and control to dominate you, to overtalk you, to manipulate you, to gaslight you. Because it makes them, they feel it's a limited supply. So if you have 100 grams of it and I steal your 100 grams, I now have 200 grams. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. 
Also, if you're enjoying the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. I I think I've learned that, um, you know, going for the win-win, why can't we go for the win-win? You know, why does it need to be you win, I lose? And I I feel like I've matured into that. I think, you know, at one point, especially coming out of the Marines, just hard nose, like, you know, because we're we're a high pace, uh, aggressive culture of a way. And I mean, mission, mission accomplishment, aggressive, you know, we don't tolerate slack. We're going to get it done. You know, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, so I definitely came out of the gates with that. And I got lectured along the way, you know, and cause I was basically with poor tact trying to get people to what I saw their potential to be, I would say, you know, um, and so, but I, I came to realize, you know, some of that emotional intelligence of trying to figure out like, well, what's in it for them? You know, it's not all about just the mission. Why should they want to accomplish this mission um, or this objective or this project or this time frame, whatever the case may be, um, you know, or what's in it for them to meet my goals you know, or how can I help them reach their goals as well? Like I, I run into these situations in business and the like where I, I just kind of got to challenge others because why does it need to be we win, they lose, or you win, they lose. Like, why, why, like, why can't they win too? Where's the compromise? I feel like that's a, unfortunately a big part of our society today. Like everyone's like, well, someone's got to be right. Like, why can't we all be right? Like we, we all have different perspectives and different lives and in, in, in different areas and circumstances. Um, there, there's not a right answer always, you know, there's, I don't know. I'm rambling now. Does does that make any sense at all? It makes total sense. I think it it, total sense. And I'm on, I'm reading from the same book. So either we're both reading, you know, a a crazy book or not, but no, it totally makes sense to me because that's where you're looking for the good and you're looking for how do we utilize this person's strengths, right? So I was talking about my daughter and her strengths and she's learned to use more verbal, emotional intelligence, like uh, language, empowering language and things like that. But that's not her first go-to. So I know when she's stressed, she's going to come at me, not with fists, but you know, she's going to come at me with fists, right? And so I also know the opposite. When my son is really stressed, that's when he comes out with some fists, Right. So knowing each other and respecting each other and then finding the right spots and then for each other and honoring that we need those. We need the person who says, I'm just a contractor. Right. We need the person who's like, oh, man, I always get so like, you know, like fight first. We need that. And we need, you know, we need the person who's calm. We need all of it. It all works together beautifully. So I think the limiting thoughts, the limiting beliefs is where people don't have the grace and the space for people that are different than them. And what I love is when I can go into a group and an organization and have someone who's the difficult, because I always get information behind the scenes, right? And this is the person, this is the problem. And really, it's never one person who's the problem or one department. And have them have authentic empathy for one another and being able to see the other person now through a whole new set of lens, right? And then it's like, oh, now I want to help that person. Now I want to work with them. Now I see why the person in accounting has to be very dry, very black and white. Numbers are very black and white. They add up or they don't, right? But we have to also love the people in the creative department that are kind of out here and like, oh, this color represents this. And well, what does that have to do with the bottom line? Well, we get more clients if we have, you know what I mean? Like 
to be able to have that respect for each other and that acknowledgement that I need you and you need me in some form, we're all connected to one another. And that is kind of my goal. And then how do you, I can't win if you don't win. That's my attitude. Yeah, I, I think it's it's great. And I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it's that area. And even you mentioned earlier, what I wrote down to be like that, that paying it for, forward mindset, you know, like this happened to me. And when I'm when they become the manager, they, they just carry forward the same poor leadership uh, tactics or, or whatever, even some of the things you mentioned, like the manipulation, manipulation tactics and stuff like that. But again, I love, I love about what you're doing with the awareness aspect of it. Like once you're aware of it, you can see it so that when you become the manager or get promoted or go to other place of work or in a similar situation, uh, but on the other side, you know, that you can control and not, and, Call for what it is. It's it's not serving. Absolutely. I love that. And the other thing I find that's really interesting in the work, I wasn't expecting to have this happen, was um, I talk about no finger pointing language and finger pointing is shame, blame, judgment, and isolation. And so let's just call the guy Carl that I gave in the example. So when Carl did that, he felt so much shame, he couldn't even look me in the face. He, and then he felt so much blame, like, I can't believe my wife has stayed with me. I can't believe I've done this to my kids. I can't believe I've done this to all these young people around me that I was their leader. And then what? A, and then the blame started coming. I'm a loser. How could I have done this? I'm not worthy to be of command. And I'm like, time out, buddy. If I don't allow, there's no across the board. If you were the person who victimized people or you were the person who was a victim of circumstances... No shame, no blame, no judgment for anybody. Like you're forgiven. And now that you know better, you have to do better. And you need to watch your body and feel when you start feeling that because that's going to be your knee jerk reaction. You have learned that learned behavior and you've practiced it to the point where it is so integrated in you. That's your normal. And so I help people see other, maybe that's the part of that win-win. You help people see other normal what's, what's healthy. So I say, let's get the word normal out of this. And let's talk about what is healthy. Is this healthy yeah. for me to have this conversation with you? Am I doing it in a way that you're going to walk away a better person because of it, even delivering hard, tough news, I can still make it where you could walk away a better person. And I, I deepen trust between us. Cause you know, I'm going to always shoot straight with you. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the most powerful form of leadership or influence is setting the example, seeing it, like seeing it for your own eyes. So, so putting it on display uh, back to Marines, like one of our leadership principles, set the example. And it's for that, for that reason, you're going to set an example one way or the other. You're going to set an example. It's your choice, which one that's going to be. I love it. There's a country song out that actually one of the cadets sent to me. She's like, I love this song. It makes me think of you. And I've lucky after being a, a guest instructor down there a couple of different times, I've made friendships with some of the cadets. And it was a country song. And it says, it's not if they'll remember, but how they'll remember you. So, yeah. And I thought that's powerful. And people yeah. like, how does they don't remember what you say? How did you make them feel when they think of you? How do they you know, as a leader, as a boss, did they encourage you? Did they motivate you? Did they inspire you? Did they make you think bigger because of them? Did they encourage you to get additional skills to go for the next rung up that ladder? Right? So as a leader, I think that's really critical. But if we're living small, we don't help other people think big and live big. 
It, you can't do that. So how do you, it, that's why I think it all starts with individuals first. And then those individuals respecting each other and encouraging each other and calling each other out. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I think like coming to know your team, oh, we used to, uh, my team, we implemented uh, EOS, if you've heard it in our organization and, and we had our weekly, what they call L10 meetings where, but the first part of the agenda of the L10 meeting was to take five minutes and go around a table and share one bit of personal and professional good news. Uh, just to, you know, do some positive framing. But what I loved about spending that time is you got to learn that there's a perfectly human, someone perfectly human on the other side or around the table with you. Sure. We're on a, a professional objective, like, you know, what, what we're doing here for, for our work. But to hear like, yeah, I coach my daughter's basketball team and we just won or, you know, we just, you know, I'm, I'm going to school part time because I'm, I'm, I want to be a writer or whatever. I don't know. But you hear these things that you would have never heard otherwise because you're not really social. You know, I get that people socialize and work and they come to become friends, but that's not always the case. And, and sometimes in, in, in leadership, especially now when we're geographically dispersed, often like this work from home thing, you don't have those opportunities. But I love that exercise, like hearing about what was going on in, in my direct reports and my, my colleagues life, you know, just, and, and, and it helps break down some of those, those barriers, you know? I, I love it. I real I'm a big proponent of personal and professional weaving together because they're not isolated, right? A lot of people can compartmentalize, but then that's some of the problems that come back later in life. You compartmentalize and then you explode somewhere else. So you're fine at work all day long and then you, you know, and dealing with the stress and you look great and you're like handling everything. And then as soon as you get home, you can't hold that garbage can lid in and, and you lose it on your family. You lose it on your friends or vice versa, right? You are keeping it together at home and you come to work and you just, you're unmotivated. You drop the ball, you lack, um, drive and ambition and kindness and bandwidth for other people because you're taxed from home. So they really do weave together. And what I love about when I help people do that in a business environment is that they start seeing people as people again, right? And understanding why someone's getting triggered or how that could be a challenge. Um, and so I love when you take that personal perspective of the whole person and I'm glad you did that. You mentored and role modeled a lot of people on a healthy way of doing that and caring about each other, knowing each other, seeing each other. Yeah, no, it's, 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 like I said, like, I love the way you said that, right? You see people as people again, you know, not yeah. just workers, you know, not just he's got his job and I've got my job or, or whatever, I think. Yeah. So what do you, is this problem getting better or worse? <laughs> the pro okay so define the problem the problem i don't know this 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 social aggression you know in the workplace yeah. amongst our communities um what, what in your opinion like what do, okay what are we doing here yeah well the reason i laugh <laughs> is because i'm an optimist and i'm really working hard to hold on to that optimistic yeah. positive love for people approach so if you can if it's okay i'll tell you a little story Please. Okay. So this last week, I won a national award uh, for Women of Influence, and it was on resilience. It was live on YouTube, and I was so excited. A retired rear admiral had nominated me, and I was so honored by that. And, and I won this award, and I was just 
feeling like, okay, it's, you know, you work really hard and every now and then you just need some recognition, like good job, attaboy, way to go, you know, that kind of thing. No, it's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And it was on resilience, right? So a couple days later, I meet a friend and a six o'clock dinner, eight o'clock movie. I come back right to celebrate. First, first movie since before COVID I've been to. So I'm like, woohoo, let's celebrate life. I come back and it turns out that someone has stolen the catalytic converter on the bottom of my car, which I guess is, you know, has been going on and I did not know this. And I instantly was like, what is wrong with our world? What is wrong with our world that someone in a bright parking lot in a normally very good safe area, I'm, I mean, I'm parked at Chili's, you know, <laughs> like, like what's, and why would you steal? Like what, what, like, so I started doing the research and realizing what an epidemic it is. And I started feeling really discouraged, really depressed. Like it was an old car because I used my funding to help build this company, you know, my new car fund and all that stuff. And I started going down a downward spiral. And um, I ended up going for a walk because that's one of my self-care things in nature. And I realized life is hard, you know, and my dad always said life is hard and you're never going to make it. And so I have to remove that. That was I could realize that was going in my head. See, you're never going to make it. Now you have this car problem, thousands of dollars of, you know, repairs. And then I was like, no, but life is also humorous. So what's the humor in this? And life is also heavenly. So I decided the humor is who knew because in the catalytic converter, there's platinum. Who knew I had like a platinum diamond tennis bracelet worth $3,000 hanging on the bottom of my old car, right? And that, <laughs> that that made me laugh. Like, man, I would have taken it too if I had known I had 3000 bucks hanging on the bottom of my car. And it made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And then as I walked farther around, I realized how heavenly it is because it is hard for me to realize I do have some of those purple threads I'm still working on. Like you're, you're not likable. No one cares about you. Those types of things that were gaslighted into me. And I realized I had a friend before I got back who dropped their truck off in my driveway and said, borrow it as long as you want. I had another friend. I reached out, right? I was brave and I went past my comfort zone and I reached out to people to say, I'm really blue. This is what's happened. I went from a high to like a low overnight. I had another friend who said, I'm at the grocery store right now. What can I bring over? I had, I mean, I started realizing how heavenly it is. I am not alone. I am not crazy. I am loved. I am supported. And so it took kind of an ugly thing to happen. And I could have chosen to be ugly and sad and mad and depressed. It's a choice. Our mindset is a choice. This is a muscle and we have to know how to work this muscle, right? I could have gone down the places I was triggered. I could have gone down the places I was brainwashed to believe. But instead, I said, no way. I'm going to implement what I teach and I'm going to go this way. And it's really kind of a blessing because I realize how much support I have. And I think we can always do that in our lives. You know, I lost my job. Um, my my spouse left me, right? Those are hard, horrible things. And life is hard. But life is also humorous. And it's also heavenly if we look for it. It's it's great. The um, and I was I wanted to add to that, which was we are so reluctant, at least I am, to ask for help. And the people around us are looking to help us. They want to help us, but we don't speak up and say like I could use use some help here because I feel, and I'm an optimist too. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, and in business, I had partners. Uh, I, we've never really had this conversation, but I'm sure my optimism always annoyed them, you know, that, 
things are going to be fine. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, I don't feel that they always enjoyed the same level of optimism I had, but, um, yeah, but, but I, I feel that people want to serve, like we want the opportunity to serve others in any way, shape or form. I feel like the majority, like there's mo a lot of people uh, love the opportunity to serve someone else. But in, in, but we rob them. We rob those closest to us of that if we're not speaking up. Going, hey, I'm down, man. Can we go grab some coffee or can we whatever? Can you talk for a minute or can you help me out with this? But we don't want to ask for help. I, I I've always I, I got told once by a, a dear friend who passed that was very courageous and outgoing and checked me one day and said, you know what your problem is? You don't want to put anybody out. You know, um, and because he was just kind of like. It always, always offering things, always offering this. And I would always, no, no, no. And then finally one day, I guess he was sick of it over there. He's like, Dale, you know what your problem is? You don't want to put anybody out. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? But what I've come to realize what's wrong with that is you're not allowing people to serve you. And you're kind of, I won't say hurting them, but it's, it's a, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the right word is at the moment, but um, it's, um, it, it's, I, I, it's not even disrespectful Bear, bail me out like what's it's just not it's not considerate it's not considerate of those who care about you to let right. them care for you you know right i agree and it is hard and the reason why it wasn't coming to your head is because we don't have these kind of conversations but if you look at like so we're supposed to be we're a country of strong independent resourceful resilient entrepreneurs go fight win i got this um i'm taking that hill i'm holding the hill follow me Right. And so when you have those personality traits that uh, I think that you and I both share and a lot of people really have like that independence, um, it is really hard. And so two things come to my mind. One is if I come with you. So with, if there's an opportunity for me to do something to help you and I come to you with my gift and you reject me, how does that make me feel? Yeah. Right. So I try to look at it that way. So the person who dropped the truck off in the driveway, she's she and her husband are always doing the most beautiful things. Like I, I'm so far behind. I can't begin to repay the beautiful, kind things that they do all the time. And she's like, she's like, what you do for this world, I can't begin to do those. So if I can help you do like have a full tank, have you over on a Sunday night when you're don't want to sit by yourself for dinner and have you to our house and we do something, you know, like. I was like, you know what? I'm rejecting her gift. Yeah. She wants to be part of this cause. She wants to be part of this mission and I'm rejecting her and it hurt her. And, and that's not okay. I'm not here to hurt anybody. So I have to just say thank you. And that's so hard. Um, something else I teach is taking the word help out of it. So language is really important. So there's a language curriculum I teach. So how do you communicate better, right? I am not the person who's going to raise my hand and say, Dale, I need help. Dale, I'm depressed, right? So how do you reword the language for the culture that you're in? So in the Air Force, we came up with a saying that people were like, we like to use this. I'm flying in the clouds. Okay, you don't have to use the word depressed. You don't have to say the word help. Fantastic. What do we need to do to get you to land? You know, so I try to say like, how can I be of service to you? How can I be of value to you? Versus do you need help? You, you need help. Let me help you say, what are three things I can do to be of value to you? Right? Like you is, can change is, the language around it. And see now, like 
And is that what you're coaching to help people like in your lessons and in, in, in the workplace culture, like people to speak up and go, Hey, I'm in, I'm in the clouds right now. Like mm-hmm. it just, to, just to increase the communication. Um, it, it, cause it feels like you got to have a lot of trust in that environment. Cause I don't know, like I've been in these environments where it's almost like a gotcha culture. Like they're, they're almost looking to find that thing that I gotcha. You know, I, I knew there was something, I knew there was something with you and, and, uh-huh. Seems like you got to have a really trusting environment to be able to speak up like that. Spot on. Absolutely trusting environment. And that's where I'm really manifesting doing these retreats where you can physically get people out of their comfort zone and physically out in the environment, hiking, ropes courses, incline events where you're climbing steps up to a mountain and you have a project and you have to trust one another and you break down those walls of trust. And so um, and, and that goes back to kind of an earlier part of our conversation about respecting people and what gifts they have. So if you're the accountant and you have to determine how many more miles we have, I'm going to trust you because you're good with numbers. I'm dyslexic. Let's not trust me. If we're going to talk, you know what I mean? Like, so like building trust is not just this blind, oh, I'm going to trust everybody. Cause that's, that's naive. That's how people mm-hmm. get hurt. Right. And, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to blindly trust somebody. You're going to build that. You're going to build those steps where people can have that trust and can have that open communication and can build trust through you. It's kind of like both. You can build trust through your communication. Um, You don't say things like you never do this or whatever. Well, remember the last time we had a report, you dropped the ball. Mm. No, like I'm, I'm glad that you learned from that. Let's work on this one together. And in the communication does take, it does to you right. The culture really is all about building trust. And to me, trust when I do one of my shops is uh, truth, respect, unity, safety, and transparency, T-R-U-S-T, because it's the, it's the foundation to everything. It, it, it is. And I think you mentioned just the, the key of communication, you know, because it's, it's like if we don't communicate, I, I always go to like people fear the unknown, so if we don't fill in like what the unknown that people have, then they fear the worst, meaning they imagine the worst is taking place. So it could be like, let's go with a simple, probably common example. Like someone in your office walks by and doesn't speak to you today. Like we don't know why, but I feel like the majority of our brains go, what do I do to him? What, what's the problem? What, what's the, you know, and, and you take it personally because you don't know otherwise, whereas opposed to, if you knew that person was just lost someone or whatever had to, you know is in the clouds as we say with some or dealing with some sort of issue right that's the truth but we we automatically seems go straight to the the fear of the unknown and, and have we internalize ideas. it right that fear yeah. of the unknown yeah. is internalizing it and that's where those purple threads are really and I don't want to keep going back to it but that's where those really go see i'm not liked so if you walk down the hallway and my purple thread is I'm not liked, I'm not smart, like, oh, they're going to, so I'm not smart. They're going to a big meeting. Of course, they don't want to make eye contact. They don't want to bring me in the meeting because they don't think I'm smart. They don't think I'm going to like say something intelligent, right? Like we internalize it when, as you were saying, like they just had a baby and they're getting like four hours of sleep a night and they're just trying to like get to the coffee pot at the end of the hallway but we internalize it. And then when we internalize it, we don't tend to make positive assumptions. And that's the optimist that you and I are talking about. The optimist tries to work hard to make a positive assumption about it. And the majority of the time, our brains are hardwired to survival, which is the negative assumption. 
ne- something negative is going to happen. Something negative is going to hurt us. Something negative is around the corner. So we have to, again, mindset override that fight, flight and freeze physical reaction that we have and use our higher th- executive functioning brain and throw that garbage out. And it takes work to unweave those purple threads and throw them out so that when someone does walk by and you're part of the meeting, you grab your notebook, you jump up and you follow them and say, hey, I'm excited about our meeting today. Is there anything I can do? Can I, you know, like, you know, I know you have just had a little baby. You want me to grab you a cup of coffee on my way? Talk about building trust. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you had mentioned earlier, um, like, not necessarily this question is necessarily about your father, but I wanted to ask this around the example that you gave someone who has limiting beliefs from where they came from, you know, in the case example you gave, like came from nothing, was always poor and had had success. Can you tell me what's the right way of how that should have played out? Like how, how does someone handle that situation where they, they've, you know, got this mental blueprint of themselves, which is so small, um, how, how, how would one deal with that? What, what, what should we be doing if we feel that way? I love it. Um, I, two things, and that's why I wrote it down real fast. Cause I, I wanted to be able to listen to what you were saying, but also the two things that popped in my head first is gratitude. Uh, Tom, sometimes when we have success and we've been through hardships, we think life or someone is going to come around the corner and take it. Hmm. Uh, it's short term. It's not going to last. The other shoe is going to drop. You're going to be found out. That's why you don't want people to really know you because you're going to be found out that you're really not that smart. You're really not that clever that you really whatever that gunk is in your head. So having gratitude for where you are, the world, the people along your path and gratitude can be that mean teacher that was like, you're a good for nothing, blank, 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 and never going to make it dirt poor kid. Gratitude can be like, thank you for coming on my path because I'm not, I don't want to be that. I'm not going to be that. Right. So you can have gratitude even for unhappy. Like I have gratitude for the life that I've had and the things I've been through. Cause I would, there's no way I'd be doing the work I'm doing. And I literally have saved lots of lives because they've come back to tell me that after taking a class or a workshop or something, I never thought raising my kids that I would save people who were at the bottom of the adverse spiral. Like, so having gratitude for even the junk in your life, and we've all had junk. Um, and then the other thing I wrote down real fast is to literally do the work to say, I am enough. Mm-hmm. I am enough. I'm good enough. I am smart enough. I don't have to prove it to anybody else in the world. I used to think if I didn't have that obstacle all the time, that's what, no, you can do even more when you know you're good enough and you know you're smart enough. Now you come at it with authentic humility and you come at it without all the extra weight on you. You're lighter, you're stronger, you're more flexible, you're quick quicker to problem solve. You're quicker to be creative. You're quicker to have more tank, you know, fuel in your tank to be kind to people who don't feel enough. And you build trust with them because you see them, you invest in them, and then they want to invest back in you. So I think those are some of the key ways that we could just start right away with being like, I'm enough and I'm grateful for whatever I have. We've all been through like our own crucible to get here, right? Yes. We've been, we've been hardened yes. and forged through what we've been through, you know, um, and, and to prepare us for, to, to take on what's next, I guess, is, you know, to oversimplify what you're saying. You know, I love it. 
What about, um, you mentioned earlier as well, like taking time to think. How, how important is that? Because you know, I think you touched on a little bit of clarity and I think you've mentioned a few times around the notepad and writing these things down. What, why is that important? I think it's really important because it reminds us of how brilliant we are, how creative we are. Um, and I also find, so in my exercise, I have people think and then I have them write it and I have them say it and we put it on a board and they have to read it. And then we have someone who reads all of them and they have to hear it. So when mm-hmm. you integrate all of your senses, you fire up different parts of your brain and you start getting it like your movement, your body is moving into it. And so for me to have that space where you can just sit and write, it's amazing sometimes when people journal a gratitude journal or just a kind of an open thought where their brain goes to what they want in life, what their problem is what their vision and mission and passion and future is. And sometimes that that is so eye-opening, especially like you were just talking about how you set aside that sacred time in the morning. So I do the same thing. And I have a pad of paper right there. And I have an inspirational journal book that I read every single day. And I've been reading out of it literally since I was in high school. It's short yeah. little kind of thought-provoking thoughts that lift my spirit. The other way I create space is trail running. No music, out in nature, and just I can feel a drum beat when I run and my feet hit the pavement, and it has to be a certain pace, and I cannot be running with other people. And that allows my brain to shut off this, you have this and this and this and this to do, and how are you going to pay this and this bill, and you haven't called this person back, and all that garbage and that stress and everything that's the first step of the adverse spiral, stress and worry and doubt and fear. All of that stuff goes away when I run and it's not right away. It's not in the first quarter mile, the first half mile, but the farther I go, the longer that quiets. And then the more I'm open to ideas and solutions and, and problem solving and thoughts and also courage, right? Like I can do this. The dopamine starts hitting the four different happy hormones start hitting your brain. You feel good. I always journal right after that, even if it's in my phone, like whatever messages that I feel, I'm like, okay, I think it's critical to our well-being and our self-commitment. So find your yeah. way, find what works for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm, and I'm glad you, you articulated that perfectly because I feel to me, back to my question I threw out there earlier about like, is it getting better or worse? I feel like we've busied ourselves, right? We have so much accessibility to to busy ourselves so how how much do you see now like you're sitting in a waiting room like pre-iphone and social media well we would just be sitting there and with alone with our thoughts or maybe making conversation but today there is no idle time to think we, we sit down and the first thing we do and you're into something you we don't we've busied ourselves i don't i don't think we have i don't think we have as a society the time to think that we had once before. I agree. I agree. And we tethered ourselves. Um, It's an addiction. The phone is an addiction. And one of the things I loved is neither of my kids, my daughter is like, if I could have a flip phone, I would be totally fine. (laughs) Neither of my kids love the phone. That that just was, and I'd like to think a lot of that was my mentoring and role modeling with them. Um, But we'll go out for a dinner and we look around and if there's a pause in a conversation, or someone says, when was, you know, 
the automobile invented. People pull out their phone versus having a discussion. And we look around and people aren't looking at each other. You're not making eye contact. We were meant to be so energetically. There's a six foot, six foot field that you can feel someone's energy and, and eye contact. Talk about building trust and connection and authenticity. A lot of times you, if you look at someone and you do not break eye contact and they're on the verge of trying to decide if they want to share something with you and you break eye contact, it's over, it's done. So if you look at your phone, you have your phone out on the table, the other person consciously kind of knows it's there, you know, like it's just, I agree with you. And that's why I love unplugging and I love setting aside time, being out in nature. I love making those connections with people, eye contact with people, a high fiving. And I always ask people about physical, you know, are you, uh, you know, uh, air, an air high five, a hug, a handshake, because I think that's important. And we lost a lot of that. We lost a lot of that physical connection with one another as well. Um, so if there's ways you can bring it back into your lives as a personally through your friendships and your relationships and professionally, um, there's a lot of times. So one of the classes I teach, I talk about gangs and how white people join gangs because they want connection. They want community. They want that brotherhood. And I said, you know, my kids joined the world's best gang that I know. <laughs> And it's true. They wanted community. They wanted extended family. They were raised by a solo parent, right? They wanted that. And so you as a leader in your organization, you have this golden opportunity to give people a sense of belonging, a, a place where they matter, a place where they can grow and thrive and they can um, live their best life. And when leaders look at that as a golden opportunity, it changes the entire culture of the organization. It, it and it really does, and I'm I really am glad you brought that up because it, like even pre COVID, the uh, unemployment rate was super low, right? So that this whole find me people thing, it's not just COVID. Like before COVID, the unemployment was three percent. Retaining people, there was a lot of recruiting going on and a lot of transition going on, but that was the key. No one. No one wants to risk losing that environment for which you just described, the one that they feel like they belong and they feel like they're welcome, they're known, they're passionate about they, what they do. They, they, they feel that the people around them care about them. There, it's got to be a lot of money, I'll say, if people are motivated by money, which generally they're not, it's usually other things, but uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to transitioning from their job. But let's just say, I'll say you really got to entice someone with a lot of money to leave that place. They will not want to risk it, even even for the money. Um, in my opinion, you know, you give you're the you're the leader, CEO, president, whatever you are, an opportunity to create that environment. You'll keep your people. You'll keep them all day long. You, you create the opposite of that. Watch how fast they get out of there to find absolutely, to find absolutely love that you brought that out of this conversation. That's that is brilliant. And people leave a job because of other people, mainly their boss. Or yes. there's no purpose. So when you allow people in your organization to say, I'm just a receptionist. No, that's your front line. That's the client's first contact with your organization, right? Like there's no just, you are a critical, important, powerful piece of this organization. And what you do matters and how you do it matters. And I really appreciate how you come every day with your A game. And what can I do to keep that up? How can I keep you engaged? When you care about people and 
and you and you build that purpose and how they give them the vision. Sometimes people can't see how they fit into the whole system. They're just a tiny little cog, right? What does it matter? It absolutely matters. You matter to me. And how you express that with people and with culture makes all the difference in the world. And when you don't have it, it's six to eight times as I was just talking to someone the other day, and this is what she told me, was that she's a, a talent specialist. And she's like, it's six to eight times the cost, the salary to replace that person. So you're going to save a ton of money by investing in the culture and in teaching bosses who may not have had these life, these skills, these life skills, these leadership skills that we're talking about. And you can teach these. These are learned behaviors. And we can customize them so they fit the person, they fit the leadership. So someone who's not good with words and communication, it's okay. There's other ways for you to communicate other than verbal words. And we'll find the right fit. Find everybody the right fit, the right job, the right position, and the bigger overall purpose. And it's magic. I'm working with an organization right now with the eight top leadership, and I love it. The magic we're creating is outstanding. It's so where's the world going? I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on that. Yeah. I'm not going to focus on the guy that stole my car part. I'm going to focus on that's the world I want. I'm growing. I'm helping. I'm speaking to like, so I'm hoping <laughs> that's our movement. Oh, it is our movement. Uh, look, people are starving for it. Like we talked in the green room, like we got to be this, we got to start uh, enlisting to be the soldiers in this good fight. Like all of us know these things. It's, it's who's saying them, who's saying, we got to put the phone down. We got to think you got to, we got to make time to think this, our, our anxiety as a result of not having any quiet time to think we got to do that. We got to talk more. Hey, I've been depressed. You have, man, I'm depressed, right? We got to talk, man. Like we got to get, um, it, and I think it's, it's people like you are helping enable that like through like we mentioned many times, just the awareness, like the awareness that you're not alone, that. I, I love that you put definition to these manipulations, you know, that, that I've seen and, and suffered through, I'll say. Um, and, and you're bringing some of this stuff up today. And like, you know, when you give something a name, it becomes real. Right. Um, you know, so I love that, that you've done that. Um, and, and, and just listening to everything that you're doing, it, it's also, so who, who the people looking for you, like, who are you serving? How are you serving them? I guess to kind of summarize a little bit so people know who might be interested in what you do. Who are you serving? How you serve them? Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so speaking events is something I really love and I love customizing it. So a lot of times I get contact and they're like, okay, give us your keynote. I'm like, well, I have a couple, but I really don't want to just do that. That's not the, what, what are you facing? What are you looking for? What's your language? Right? So I love customizing it. Like I love being creative. I don't just have one pat thing. So if you have something specific that you're facing, that is a challenge, or you have something you really want to deep dive deep, we want to be really well known for then, and it's behavior based. So it's cognitive, social, and behavioral. That's my wheelhouse. So how to develop not only the culture, but individual mindsets, and then team unity and team trust to have a, an alignment in what we think and what we say and what we do. So it's consistent right? And it's all about human behavior. And how do we interact with one another and become stronger, better, more thriving individuals and thriving organizations. And I can do that through speaking events and workshops. I do smaller brown bag lunches for organizations. 
Um, and I really want to manifest this retreat thing. I've talked to a couple of different people about it and there seems to be more and more excitement about it. So if anybody's listening and they're interested in that, or like, you know, my goal is I get to go away to some beautiful resort once a week <laughs> and teach curriculum. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of open, but a lot of people kind of put me just in the resilience bucket, which is great. That's wonderful. But there's so much more. It's about human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're singing here, man. I, I love it. I think it's, it's a huge need. Um, it, again, just the awareness and, and you, you bring in these issues to life so that we can call them out for what they are and act differently, you know, act differently. It's, it's awesome. So, uh, how do people find you and get in touch with you? Oh, thank you. Uh, so they have to have the G otherwise you get Peyton Manning's sister-in-law. <laughs> so they can find me <laughs> at Abigail, A-B-I-G-A-I-L-G Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G.com. And on the contact page is my email and you can contact me there. Um, and that's one of the websites that I have. That's kind of my personal backstory. We're developing the company website right now, uh, but that would probably be the best place uh, to find me and some extra information and content. And just, I would love to hear from, I love hearing from people. So good stories, success stories, challenging stories. And so I just encourage people to reach out and connect with one another. If it's not me and if it's not you, Dale, then I encourage people to connect with others, um, as they continue to move forward in this beautiful world that we're creating. Yeah, man. I love it. So Abigail, it's been an honor, a pleasure to have you on. This is, this has been a great chat. So I really I thank you for coming on and sharing a little bit of your story and all this, a lot of insights. It's been great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Dale. It goes both ways. So thank you. You've inspired me and given me a lot of food for thought. So I appreciate all that you're doing and all that you are. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.